It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. In the previous episode, I discussed the title, Son of God for Jesus. Many so named Jesus. Jesus himself called God as his Father, and since the Son of God has the same essence as the Father, it follows therefore that Jesus is divine. The Old Testament viewed God as Father of the nation of Israel, but the sonship for the people of Israel is a national rather than an individual designation. The fatherhood of God for followers of Christ opens up the possibility of a profound personal relationship with God. Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer as a pattern of prayer for his followers. We affirm God's uniqueness and confess that salvation is found in Jesus alone when Christians say, our Father who is in heaven. The expression, Our Father, strikes a new and personal note about prayer. At the end of the last episode, I gave three things every believer should know about prayer. For that information, see the previous episode. The Christian faith is based squarely upon the belief that in the birth, life, death on the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus, God entered into human life in a decisive fashion. When we exhibit faith in Christ, we are saying, in a sense, that we understand that everything spiritual that comes to us came by the way of Christ. In other words, Christ is the source, the cross is the means, the resurrection is the proof of the validity of it all, and the Holy Spirit is the confirming witness. Let us all understand that the Holy Spirit will only work through the parameters of the finished work of Christ. I will go into that further in the future. The importance of the resurrection of Jesus cannot be overemphasized. It is the rock of Gibraltar for the Christian faith and the fundamental proof that Jesus is the Son of God, Romans 1, verse 4. The Apostle Paul saw its cruciality for the Christian faith when he wrote, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith is vain, the apostles are even found to be false witnesses of God. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep have perished, and we are of all men most to be pitied. That is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 
through 19. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 9, Paul wrote a summary of the gospel. He gives four fundamental facts. One, Christ died for our sins, found in verse 3. Two, he was buried, found in verse 4a. The proof of death was burial. Three, he was resurrected from the grave, found in verse 4b. And four, he was seen by numerous witnesses, found in verse 5. The proof of the resurrection. The book of Romans, typically dated at 50 AD, proclaims that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. That, I remind you, is found in Romans 1, verse 4. Jesus died in 33 AD. So 17 years after the resurrection, Jesus is described as divine. That fact demonstrates that the resurrection story is not a myth. Because the resurrection is the most attested event in history, Jesus is God incarnate, just as the writers of the Gospels described. Old Testament writers used the Hebrew word Ab for God as father of the nation of Israel. On the other hand, Jesus referred to God using the Aramaic word Abba for father. At the time of Jesus, Aramaic had replaced Hebrew as the common language among the Jews of Judea and Galilee. In his book, The Parables of Jesus, page 134, Joachim Jeremias points out there are, is no evidence in all Jewish literature that Jews ever address God as Abba. Yet, with that term Abba, Jesus put extraordinary intimacy into his relationship with God, not shared by any other person in the universe. The word Abba can be rendered Daddy, Dearest Daddy, or Papa. It is the ordinary, everyday family word for Father used by little children. It is a tender, loving name. When a father comes home from a day's work and the children run to meet him, he takes them in his arms and carries them into the house. The baby toddler crawls to meet him. All this is in the word Abba. When a child is sick, burning with fever, and the father places a cool cloth on the child's forehead, the child whispers, Thank you, Daddy. All this is in the word Abba. As a teenager, I had an auto accident. I got a traffic violation ticket. I apologized to my father. He didn't hesitate. He forgave me right then and right there on the spot. We embraced and our tears mingled together. I can hardly tell you about this without tearing up. All this is in the word Abba. On page 117 of 
the mind of Jesus. William Barclay says, For Jesus, the fatherhood of God was something of almost inexpressible sacredness, and it was something of unsurpassable tender intimacy. In it is summed up everything that Jesus came to say about God in his relationship with men. The term Abba indicates a kind of intimate relationship that was previously unavailable. In the Lord's Prayer, the Greek word for Father is pater. That's found in Matthew 6, verse 9. In the book of Faith for All Seasons, page 45, the author Ted M. Dorman writes, Two decades after Jesus taught this prayer to his disciples, the Apostle Paul encouraged the Roman Christians to call out Abba Pater, that is, Abba Father, in their own prayers, in Romans 8, verse 15. This indicates that Abba and the intimate, tender relationship with God it represented was a central feature of the early Christian faith that the original Aramaic word used by Jesus became a confession of faith even in a Greek and Latin-speaking environment such as Rome. By saying, Abba, Father, the Christian affirms he is aware of having an intimate spiritual family relationship with the Father, and such a declaration proclaims his own sonship and all that that relationship implies. That can be explained further in Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. The father-son relationship was the unique feature in Jesus' teaching. The idea for people being sons of God has for its basis in the fact that God is the father of Jesus. At the same time, Jesus drew a clear distinction between a believer's sonship and his own sonship. Perhaps the most striking example of this distinction is found in John chapter 20, verse 17, where Jesus told Mary what she was to report to the disciples. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. At the baptism of Jesus, a heavenly voice attested his sonship. Matthew 3, verse 17. Jesus understood himself as the unique Son of God in the special sense that he was sent by the Father into the world with a special revelatory message. Jesus said, All things that have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and everyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Matthew 11, verse 27. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God himself. In other words, he has seen the Father. In John 6, verse 46. The Passion Translation of John 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor 
except the uniquely beloved Son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he, Jesus, has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God really is. The words unfolded to a full explanation come from a Greek word from which the English word exegete is derived. Exegete means to bring out, that is to articulate clearly what the words are meant to convey. So out of his experience and relationship with God the Father, Jesus could relate things about God that no human could ever do. The Son of God came as a man so that we really can come to know God the Father. And the kind of character Jesus displayed is all that we could ever wish God to be like. So God is called Father in two different senses in the New Testament. One, as Jesus' Father, and two, as the Father of believers. It is never applied to unbelievers. In the passage, John chapter 5, verses 16 through 23, the Jews had begun persecuting Jesus because he was breaking the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them, saying, My father is still working, and I am working also. The Jews began trying all the harder to kill him. Why? Because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus did acknowledge publicly that he was God's son. John 10, verse 36. But all the times Jesus called God Father meant Jesus was the Son of God. To be the Son of God means he was aware that he was of the same essence as the Father. So Jesus would understand that meant he was divine. I have been discussing titles for Jesus. I've discussed Jesus as Messiah, Yahweh, and Son of God. In the interchange with the high priest in Mark 14, verses 60 to 64, Jesus acceded to three titles, Christ, the Son of God, and the Son of Man. We will discuss the title, Son of Man, in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.